Uh, this is the third uh, letter, a uh, pastoral letter, and it is to, obviously, a man named Titus. And as we've done a couple weeks on introduction, we'll plunge right into the book. So take a look at chapter 1. Uh, there's only three short chapters in the book. We actually could read through it in a matter of minutes. Of course, studying and preaching, it'll be a few weeks, a month or two. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul introduces himself as the author, as was the common thread of authors. You wrote any letter in the first century, you put your name at the beginning. We put our name at the end if we ever write letters, which we rarely do. We put our name at the end. This time in culture, they put their name at the beginning, kind of identified who it was. He identifies himself as Paul, and notice the most important thing he lists as first. He is a servant of God. This is in mode of his ministry and the mode of how he looks at ministry. Now, ultimately, between him and Christ, there's an intimacy of, of sonship. He's, this, he's, he's, he's a brother of Christ, and, and there's this. But, but when he talks about ministry, see, that's what he's talking about to Titus. He, first of all, identifies his attitude down deep as a servant of God. Now, this is so important before we even go on for, for all of us to recognize, and especially for those in ministry, that we are servants of God. We don't make our own calls. We don't do our own thing. And we certainly are never to move according to the flesh, according to what we are never to use ministry for our own benefits. Um, there are many things that a guy in ministry will refuse to do um, because it can be unpopular if he's not the servant of God. If he's the servant of man, he will cater to a few and he'll avoid ever confronting anyone about any situation or caringly, lovingly reaching out. When he gets to certain parts of the scripture, he will glaze over them instead of uncompromisingly preaching the truth about sin and, and such if he's not the servant of God. Uh, ultimately, for any clergy and leader, his, his job is to please God because we're going to stand before the Lord, and that's it. And, and we want his smile, which means we won't get the smile of everyone that's under, under our leadership. We just won't. But, but for a person who sees themselves as the servant of God, not the servant of himself, not the servant of a man, but the servant of God, He's able to freely move as God directs him. And, and if he's a servant of God, he's, he's very careful to move only as God directs him. All right, so, so that's his attitude, and then his office comes second. We reverse it. And many times we think we're the apostle, and then, then because we've got this mighty office, we're a servant. But not Paul. I'm a servant first. If I wasn't an apostle, I'd still be a servant. It's the essential thing. If, I, if, you, if you get the first things first and the essential things as the core, then it really does benefit tremendously. It's, it's, a, it's a world of difference. So he's a servant of God and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle simply means one who was sent. I take this title to be um, very exclusive. I don't think there's apostles today. I think this is for the first century, and I think, personally, I'm of the opinion Paul replaced Judas in the original 12. I, I just think that. I think the apostles 
choice in, in uh, Acts was before the Holy Spirit came down. I think they made a rash, quick choice. I mean, given the, given the choice between a man who was chosen by the roll of dice and a man who was confronted on the road to Damascus, I'll take the guy on the road to Damascus any day. <laughs> okay? So anyway, that's a, kind of an opinion. Uh, we'll know when we run up to the streets, when we run up to the, the holy city, and we run around to the gates, and we see the names on the gates, and we get to that 12th gate, and I think it's going to be Paul on that gate. So he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, this is an opening, typical Greek running sentence. This was beautiful in the Greek. In the English, we would call it a run-on, and grammatical teachers would have a fit, putting commas and periods and punctuations, not the Greeks. They love their long, flowing, poetic sentences. And Paul shows his ability and his intelligence to be able to write good Greek like this. So, having that little bit of history that may not matter to you, um, notice that he's an apostle, he's a servant, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. His purpose in ministry, essentially and primarily, and almost probably only, is that through his ministry, people's faith may be built up and grow. He is not a servant or an apostle for the entertainment of God's elect. He's not an apostle for the amusement. For his primary core, he's not an apostle to get a body of believers doing a lot of busy work. See? He's not a preacher who is meddling in society, getting us to fix the social woes of our day. His job is something invisible inside of us, but it's the most important thing about us, our faith. That's what he cared about. His great reward was seeing people built up in the faith and having confidence. Wherein once they worried about everything in life, now they face life with great confidence. Where once they struggled under guilt and depression, now they're free and happy and able to minister to other people. Their faith, which changed everything. Notice he says, for the sake of the faith of God's chosen ones, of God's elect. There it is. Election. And it's stated in a passing way, and yet he cared about the faith of the, the ones that God had chosen to give faith. He let that be God, God's business. As he preached, as he ministered, uh, you know, in any congregation, at any age, when, when the preacher preaches, there are those out there who are saved and there are those who are not saved. There are those who have the ability to, to sit for years and years and years under the hottest gospel preaching and be unfazed by it and lost and go out into eternity. It just, I, I mean, the model for that is Judas. I mean, he spent several years in the very presence of Jesus Christ and was lost as, you know. So that's not the preacher's responsibility in terms of to fret about who out there is saved. He's preaching to everyone, but he knows that the Holy Spirit's targeted audience for what he's preaching in depth and in reality 
is the faith of the ones that God has chosen. Doesn't mean he doesn't care about it, but he's not to pick and choose and go, I think that one, but that, that's definitely, they're, they're not saved. He's to preach to everyone. It's God's business. They're God's chosen ones. I care about building them up in faith. Now, notice he goes on. Something that's connected essentially to their faith, notice, and their knowledge of the truth. There it is. This is the thing that builds them up in faith, is truth. It's so simple. It's so simple. And yet, it's very easy for ministries to get off skew and talk about everything else except the truth that's contained in here. Giving messages and lectures on fluffy, floaty things, how to better get along with your husband or wife or your friend, how to how to be a success and whatever, and just go into a lot of different sermonettes when we think about what's going out in society, how to handle this and that out there, and, you know, the culture tells us this is a problem out here, and so the preacher fashions something here to help the problem out here to fix stuff. And Paul's thing is, man, I'm, I'm preaching doctrine and truth because the Holy Spirit applies that, and then things are transformed. It's truth. We have a new website, and I hope you guys take a look at the website. We're trying to make it as clear and simple as we can. I'm going to have an open opening video on the opening page that's going to click open, I think, when they open the page. I haven't decided yet. And I'm going to be talking, and what I'd like to do is somehow form a setting up here where I'm talking into the camera, and you guys are kind of milling around and walking around. Now, this has nothing to do with this tonight. We're just going on a little rabbit trail. <laughs> You've heard of extras in the movie, right? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice for, for me to sit in that pew and be filmed and you guys kind of shaking hands and walking around and we'll orchestrate a kid running up and interrupting the whole thing? I'd like to do that in a couple weeks. If you're interested in being in the movies, come see me and we'll sign you up. But this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, look all over the website. But there's two pages I want you to specifically focus in on if you're looking for a church. First page is what we believe. That ought to be the very first thing anybody does when they're looking for a church. What does that church believe? I want to know. Second of all, I want to hear the truth preached. Because when I sit down in a pew, I want to... Be fed the Word of God. I don't want to be told fancy little funny stories about the, the muskrat running up the tree and just all kind of stupid little things. I, I want to know truth. I want to be hit hard straight between the eyes. So that's what I want. That's what churches ought to be about, the truth. Now, we're a social setting, and we enjoy our friendships. We enjoy the society that we have here, the community. We, we love to eat together. We love to laugh together. But this place isn't about society or eating or any of that kind of stuff. Essentially, we get fed truth, and we come out of here growing in our faith. Everything else can happen, but if that doesn't happen, nothing else is happening. Okay. Notice, for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, notice where that truth will always run, which accords, which aligns, which is always essentially connected with godliness. With godliness. 
and understanding of the truth that feeds the faith will always produce a righteous, godly life. Not a perfect life, but a life that more and more is assimilating and, and, and into the life of God as it's lived out where, where we live. You know, we're more pleasant people to be around in our family. We're not as irritable. We're not as disagreeable. We're calmer. We're more relaxed. Now, you'll have moments. We all have moments. But we ought to be easier people to live with and happier and more victory over sin as we grow in faith, as we incorporate truth into our life. My friend Mike's problem with those who came to his church and said they were all about grace is that he saw no evidence of it at all. I wanted to transport him down to our church at any one of our services or in our fellowship hall and let him watch you guys. You know, this is what it looks like when people understand grace and truth are fed in faith. There's a sweet spirit. There's a loving spirit. It goes on. Which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. Now you notice there are some commas in here. Let's pick it out in order. Go back to the faith of God's elect being fed by the knowledge of the truth. When the truth takes inroads and feeds the faith, there is a godliness. When there is a godliness, there is a rejection of this world's value system. There is a a rejection of the love of things. the, The importance of what we drive or where we live or how much we make flies out the door we don't run to and fro with this world running after stuff because we are seeing it's empty and nothing when we do that your friends and your family and people you know will not understand that they won't like that they'll many times reject you because you don't run with them we've all had that happen to us They'll say, where is your hope in things? Well, look at the next phrase. We are in hope of something beyond this world. We are chasing after God himself because he has been chasing after us. We are in hope of eternal life. Our value systems in a godly way are on the world to come, not this world. Whole different ballgame, is it not? Now look at the word hope. It's kind of a word that's been thrown around in the media in the last few days about hope. Hope, when the world talks about it, is a wishfulness for the future for it to turn out like we want. You know? I hope Karen doesn't kill me. Or I, I, <laughs> that's a terrible thing. <laughs> I hope you know, that she doesn't leave me someday because I'm such a jerk. I hope, I hope my grandkids stay healthy and happy and find good mates someday. I hope the best for my kids. These are wishes and desires that we really want to happen. That is not the New Testament word for hope. Forget it. Hope, faith, hope, and love. Faith is a concrete thing. Love is a concrete thing. Hope is a concrete thing. Faith 
looks back on what he has done for us, grounded in the word of God. Faith looks forward to what he has promised that we know he's going to do. He's coming in the clouds for us. He's calling our name. We're going up. We'll walk on streets of gold. We'll come back with him on horses of white. We know these things because he has promised. When I say I have hope of eternal life, it is the confidence that calms me. It is a knowing. I know these things are going to happen. I don't care what happens in this world. I know he's coming back. I know it. It's like the old... I visited Chanda the other day. I wanted to take her by something that someone had uh, given. And so I, I dropped by Chanda's, and we had a pleasant talk, and we had a good time, and I was fixing to leave. And apparently the family has uh, adopted a pit bull. And uh, the, the, this Luna, I think, is her, her name, and she came around the corner. Yeah, and she came around the corner, and I was a stranger at the door. And so here's this full-size pit, and uh, she is up on my leg, and all of a sudden her mouth is on my wrist and teeth are compressing and just at that time Chanda reached out and grabbed the collar and jerked her back and I thought good night good night Chanda we'll see you we'll take care and I'm out the door and I had a jacket on and I think that jacket kind of protected me a little but a few more seconds and that that sweet dog would latch down on me and she's doing her job I was a stranger at the door she didn't know me when a pit bull grabs onto you, you're in trouble because they got some serious jaws. Oscar grabs a hold of you, you can pretty much shake him off into the wall. But not a pit bull, she got you. This hope is a pit bull's teeth down on something that will not let go no matter what. No matter what. That's the hope we have of eternal life. So whatever we face in this life, the ups and downs, the good and the bad, the reason we just smile like, like we haven't got a lot of sense is because we have a hope that they have no idea what it is. None. It makes us different people, does it not?